<laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the season launch <laughs> of <laughs> season four of Zombified, <laughs> your source for loud burps. <laughs> So, Athena. <laughs> uh, Dave, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Um, have you have you been zombified by refusing to die? I have. Yes, I, uh, I'm. I'm really passionate about <laughs> about um, not dying and uh, and also not becoming a zombie. Um, and so, which I think the two are not always the same. You know, sometimes. Yeah. What about you? Um, I, I think that. Well, to your point about you know refusing to die versus being a zombie. I mean, what being undead is. I mean, it's kind of like you're refusing to die, but like you really should be dead. So I'm kind of stuck on that now. Oh, see, so for me, when I think of refusing to die, that also means refusing to get stuck in old ways, where I feel like if you're just marching through life as a zombie you haven't exactly refused to die. So it means that you have to both be alive and you have to be continuing to try to be human. Mm, so it's maybe it's really refusing to be undead as opposed to refusing to die. Yeah, but that's a that's not as good of a season title. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's stick with refusing to die. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, well, I mean refusing to die, it's it I mean, there's a serious angle to it and then there's a playful angle, right? The serious angle is like we have all been through so much shit these last few years where people have died because of the pandemic. People have died because of other reasons. There have been, you know, major disasters all over the world. I mean, there are a lot of things that are conspiring to kill us all, even if it's not in a conspiracy theory coordinated kind of way. There are a lot of threats out there. There's a lot of risks that we face. And, you know, you need to have a certain like, you know, joie de vivre to not just be like, I'm just going to lay down and take a nap. And if I die, fine. I mean, I had days like that. During COVID. I had a lot of days where there was a lot of napping going on. But, but I think that's all of life, right? That's like even pre-COVID, post-COVID. It's like it's hard being alive, right? Um, it, it can be hard to be alive, yes. And I think especially when the world is changing rapidly, when you know our assumptions about things are getting challenged, when our ways of life are getting challenged, when for some people it's really hard to just figure out how to get through the day-to-day -day because they're being stretched so thin, you know, by crumbling infrastructure and like all sorts of other issues yeah, that are not getting yeah, dealt with. Like, right, wealth inequality, like that's been a big one, right? The sort of inflation and jobs not keeping up with inflation. So yeah, yeah. so a lot of times it really is just a practical refusal to die. Yeah, so, um, so that's the serious part, right? And then the fun part of refusing to die is just like, all right, you know, yeah, let's have, let's have some fun in life. Let's like not make everything just about, you know, having to uh, meet everybody's expectations about we, what we should be doing. And like, let's just like, because yeah, that, that's a certain kind of death is if you don't have any autonomy, right? That's like a, a death via zombification. That's like what you're we talking about. Yeah. Earlier. So like, how can we fight that how can we be fully alive um refuse to die in body mind and spirit and just you know take on the future uh, with i don't know some kind of enthusiasm about life yeah i mean i personally like i know i need that to not die inside i need to be excited about things 
Yeah, no, I think me too. I think it makes a huge difference. And I think and I think it makes a huge difference in my ability not just to enjoy my life, but to try to go out and help the world. You yeah. Know? And so so we got a whole season, right? We have a whole season um, about refusing to die and related zombification topics. So I'm really, really excited, not just about the episodes that we've already recorded that we're you know going to be putting out over the next few weeks but about the episodes we have not yet recorded because i am i mean being here in person looking you in the face while we're recording having our guests with us it is um i mean to me this is like actually really embodies a lot of refusing to die it's like we're here we're back we're making this happen and it is fun and I love learning from all the guests we have. I love, you know, all the different perspectives that we get into the room and um, I had so much fun at ZAM, yeah. where it, which is where we recorded the official launch episode. What was ZAM? The Zombie Apocalypse Medicine Meeting. And what did that entail? <sighs> zombie apocalypse medicine meeting so if you have not been to zam or been on our live stream channel channel z um you are in for a treat because um i don't mean you dave because i know that you were there i saw you there i think i was you were there yeah um (laughs) so the the zombie no treat for me no treat for you um only tricks for you yes um so right speaking of which right before halloween we had Mm -hmm. the zombie apocalypse medicine meeting um, at ASU at the new Mesa Mix Center, which is an awesome um, center. We had uh, students helping us make the shows. Uh, you know, we had just amazing set design. Um, it was basically um, like a kind of talk shows with studio audience kind of set up. We had musical guests, which you'll you'll hear today um, when we get into the, the main launch episode. We had Baba Brinkman on with us. Uh, and we talk um, in this episode today to uh, Liz Grumbach, to uh-huh. Mozilla Kazi Kone, um, and also to Tomas David Barrett, who was on a previous season with us. So make sure you check out all of those um those episodes as they as they come out or you can already listen to Tomas's because it's it's already out that's right you could just be playing it just take out another playing device and just turn them all on right now and just yeah par- go to town. it's called parallel processing yeah exactly yeah. so um, yeah. <laughs> so now so this was really exciting so this season launch we were um we were sort of filming it live um for the first time and so yes um, so well, and this is a this is the point where we have to like acknowledge <laughs> we have to acknowledge something, <laughs> which is that I we um we might have had some technical challenges that happened. We had yes, we had we so our our for example our internet didn't always refuse to die right. Um, <laughs> yeah. we our had internet some, willingly died at some points. <laughs> uh, we had some some microphones that maybe some gave up the ghosts yeah so to speak yeah uh, so but you know what we you and i refuse to die and this season is refusing to die so we have you know we've made the most of what we could salvage 
Which is actually most of it. I'm maybe I'm being well, a little yeah. Dramatic. I actually think you're being way too hard. Like this is <laughs> well, but in, in a good way. That's kind of good with this theme because it's like I really like all the stuff that we filmed at the at the Zam thing. And this one, so this was one of the first things we did, and we were like, we were just running around trying to get ready because we we booked ourselves pretty. Yeah. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so, but uh, the conversations were so fun. You yeah, know, they and were great. And you can actually see the video of this episode um, if you go to our YouTube channel, um, Channel Z, and you can see us talking with the guests. Of course, you won't have this amazing like intro that we're doing right now because this is where we're adding this oh, on. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess you have to wait till. Well, yeah. but but when when we're like, uh, you know, okay, let's go into the episode. You can totally go on YouTube and listen to. The, the rest of it on there, oh. but then you won't get to hear our out- outro, which is going to be awesome. Oh my gosh! They got to play everything at once. Just just get another <laughs> device out, and so. But All I actually devices. do think there's something. So the videos, I think that I really like the way they look. I really like the way they sound. They, we've got animations with illustrations from Neil, and so it's like, I don't know. I think it's so cool. Like, it is. and so yes, it um, is really fun. And you know what? Like because I think maybe we have like a moment right now where we can kind of talk about some of this. I have to say that. Being a part of Zombified Media, doing this podcast with you, um, the whole community around Channel Z was so important for me, like in the pandemic. Um, Part of like my refusal to die inside came from the community that we had and the community that we were sort of sharing with a broader audience as we were all just kind of trying to figure out like, What's going on? How do we, you know, move forward as a community trying to understand the world, trying to understand our place in it, trying to figure out what's going on, what we can do to support the communities that we're embedded in? Like all of that, having that community was just so important to me. Yeah, me too. And I think it will continue to be because I imagine there will continue to be, there may still be issues on earth that. We all need to work together to to figure out. (laughs) Well, yeah, I think that, you know, when it comes to refusing to die, it's a lot easier to, like, refuse to die in solidarity, like, collectively to be like, we're not going to die than it is as an individual to just be like, I'm going to stay alive and just trying to do that on your own. You know, it's much easier to be in community with people who are like looking around, trying to understand what's going on, trying to manage the risk that, you know, they face, trying to, you know, help communities deal with the risks that they're facing and to to do it together, not just as yeah. individuals. So that's true. So anyone listening should just come hang out with us. Just yeah. come find us on campus. Like for real. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just come and say, hey, do you guys have the podcast? And then we'll all go get lunch. Sounds good. So, yeah. Sounds good. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right. Well, I think maybe now's a good time for us to um, invite you all to join us for the live launch episode, which we recorded at ZAM 2022, uh, featuring Mozilla Kazikone, Liz Grumbach, and Tomas David Barrett, and also Baba Brinkman. So let's hear from all of those delicious, wonderful, fresh brains. I know it's crazy, but it seems so logical. Try to fight it, but it's something psychological with you. Makes me act the way I do. I'm not trying to be over. 
to my life the last few years, like for many people, uh, that sense of really trying to maintain and hold that sense of refusal to die each day. You really have to be recommitted to the project of refusing to die. And what does that look like for you in your life? Like, what, how are you refusing to die when you wake up every morning? Well, one is probably just getting up at all. <laughs> right? You know, adulting ain't easy, as we know, or for those of you who don't know. Uh, so, continuing to get up every day and engage, uh, whether it's uh, teaching or, or uh, doing research, right? Participating in that way that's so active. And really, the creation of knowledge and the work is in and of itself a refusal to die, right? The, 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 the continuing to, to, to write or to continuing to teach. I think that is another refusal to die. I said, okay, we can do it another day. Let's keep on going. Right? Yeah. And, and, and beyond that, it, it's for me, but it's an extension when you think about the presence of students, right? Because of uh, needing to transmit uh, not just optimism, because optimism without reality is not so good, mm -hmm. right? But uh, instilling a sense of resilience and resistance, which is necessary for us to continue each day. Right. I think the optimism thing is actually a really important issue, right? Because, I mean, on one hand, we want to have hope for the future, but we also want to be able to see reality. We want to be able to face the risks that we are actually presented with um, without, uh, you know, having blinders on about what the, you know, actual landscape is that we're living in. So, so how do we find that balance then between facing the apocalyptic reality that we are all living in today mm. and at the same time having that feeling of hope and optimism about mm. where we're going well that's a great question you know uh as a black woman as an african-american woman i think that's really central to my own experience and story um to think about the stories of those who spent generations of enslavement right people who never witnessed the freedom their own freedom and yet cultivated and maintained a sense of hope that at some point right we would achieve right i mean those people who somehow in the face of dehumanization 
and trauma and human trafficking still believed that there would be a time that there would be liberation, right? So if my ancestors in the face of that can maintain a grain of hope, I, I, I owe it to my community to at least do what they did, to envision a brighter future and to do my little part. I mean, you know, it's, it's like a like a grain of rice worth, but if we all do our part, right? True, we got a rice dish. Liberation, an end of, of colonialism, an end of patriarchy and sexism, you know, a real future that's based on not just equality, but equity. Uh, I think that is the vision uh, that I maintain and a future for our planet. Right, our our very survival—not just the infighting and the conflict we've we've been able to create and maintain for generations—but yet the human project needs to come together so that we assure our own survival, and then beyond that, uh, the survival of all of these different groups of people and uh, ethnicities and genders and so on. Right, but that—I mean, it's a it's a big dream, right? But. <laughs> So was the dream of my ancestors. And for many other groups, many other folks, I mean, the dreams are so big. Yeah, but we have to dream big. We, mean, yeah. we have to. But I mean, I think that's part of what refusing to die means to me. It's sort of this idea that we're also, we're not just going to wait out the end of our days and let things be the way they are, okay. right? So it's like, given however much time we have, what can we do? That's to, right. To but use that time wisely. Yeah. So that's right. So what can we do <laughs> to, to achieve the future you just talked about? Not and Athena, if you have things you think we could do too, you know. Everybody, right? We all have different skills and talents that we bring to the table, right? So what I bring to the table is not going to be what you bring to the table, right? And and that's what's good about it. It's like a potluck. You don't want all the same thing, right? So we really have to rely on our, our gifts, our talents. Um, and not just that, that, that suggests it has to be innate, our desire to do something. All right. Uh, it's as simple, I believe, as showing up, right? Maybe you don't know what to do next, but you are willing to show up and build in community, right? Because no one person knows all the things, but when we come together, right, when we have a space to talk and discuss and develop ideas, we realize which ways we can actually, okay, you can handle that part and I'll handle this part, right? So we split, we split the load. We yeah. split the labor. Absolutely. And this idea that we engage together as a community and looking at, you know, what is the landscape of the risk that we face? Mm -hmm. You know, what, you know, if we look together at that and if we deal together with those risks, then we're simultaneously managing our risk, making it less likely that we're going to die. And we're building a sense of community, which then can help us to manage our risks better mm -hmm. and help us build more community. So it can be this positive feedback loop where we are both reducing the chance that we're going to die as individuals and having more of a sense of being connected to those around us. So I think it can really be a truly virtuous cycle. Sure, sure. I mean, really just thinking, um, you know, there's this statement that keeps coming to my mind, especially in light of violence and colonial violence, this idea, uh, you know, it's not even an idea, but, you know, genocide, mass, I mean, this is littered throughout our collective history. But the, the quote that comes is they tried to bury us, but they didn't know we were seeds, right? Mm -hmm. And that image, right, of being, you know, 
experiencing collective experiences of, of violence and trauma. And yet we can It's really not just adapting. We we refuse to die. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, I have another question. So, we have not uh, done the podcast, podcast yet. What do you think we're going to talk about on the podcast? Oh, goodness. Sure. What do you want to talk about? So <laughs> we have 90 minutes to sit down and, and chat together. Yeah. 60, 60. 60 minutes. Yeah. Sorry. Sometimes we're doing. Wow. Well, what can we talk about? Well, you know, Mooney, uh, I'm, I'm particularly concerned with this question of resistance and, and fighting. And even that, fighting sounds so exhausting, right? To be fighting all the time. Maybe other even other ways of considering that, right? Um, developing resilience and building community. It doesn't always have to be like, we're gonna go fight, right? Our refusal to die, not just actively pushing, is in itself something beautiful. So we can talk about community building and organizing. We can talk about these different histories that have grounded us for this moment today, right? Because of course, uh, what they say, no man's an island, no human's an island, right? When we are the product of our histories, Right. And so until we acknowledge these histories and where we've come from and what we have uh, persevered through, it's hard to kind of envision a whole new future, right? Because we didn't just like arise in this moment out of nothing, right? We've got, you know, our, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, I mean, everyone who came before who's a part of our own story. I mean, right, I'm no scientist, but isn't, aren't they literally in us? Right, those who've come before aren't they really with us? Literally with us. There are some. There are many ways in which we are carrying our ancestors with us. So I mean, there's just the the genome that we possess of theirs. There's a epigenetic marker, so you know you can pass along these sort of like uh, tags almost on your DNA that come from previous generations. And then there's also microchimeric cells that came through your mom's line. So you could have actual cells potentially from your ancestors in your body expressing genes and dividing and yeah it's kind of mind-blowing when you think about all the ways that we and can carry that aspect right there's the thing that too that absolutely you, mm -hmm. know, generation to generation that's, that's a part right. of you too that's so. right well even like language right yeah. the, the, mm -hmm. the presence of being able to maintain a language uh as also representative of resistance and resilience i mean consider the colonial project part of what's so central about the project of colonialism is taking people's language you can't speak this language you must speak well, we're having this interview in English, you know, or, or it could be French or Spanish. And yet we have to recognize, okay, this is a part of the colonial project. Some of the resistance to even that is when people say, you know what? I'm going to learn my indigenous language. I'm going to learn Twi or Swahili or Indabele, right? As not only as a way to enrich myself in my experience, but as a way to reclaim what has been taken, reclaim what has been, well, Maybe loss isn't the right thing because it's still there, these threads. But to go back to it and say, I'm going to invest the time and energy in my language, my ancestral language. And sometimes you don't even know which one is yours, but the part of resistance remains. Uh, for example, there's a college near me uh, called SYNC. It is an Indigenous Nations College. And what stands out to me about that college, and I had the opportunity to attend their graduation, their first graduation, is that these are Indigenous students right, native people who are being, uh, who are learning indigenous languages, right? Who are learning language that has been taken, right? What does it mean to have your language stripped, right? I mean, language passes your culture, passes as to your point, yeah. right? All these things that get passed down through it. What does it mean to say, you know what? I'm gonna learn that. I'm gonna 
bring that back in my own family, in my own community, uh, through something like learning a new language. Yeah, Great. it's also kind of wild to think about that. Like when we were just talking about the things that are part of you, those sort of lost things that are still part of you, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. um, you just don't, you may not know them. Yeah. Like, and those are things that we're refusing to let die. That's which, right. Absolutely. Um, Great. Which actually is a pretty good transition to our next our guest. Next guest. Yes. yes. So thank you um, so much, Ms. Olikazi. And uh, yeah, so our next guest is Liz Grumbach. Liz, would you uh, come out here and join us? Liz. It's so amazing to be here, um, and I get to sit next to my dear colleague. Yes. Mm -hmm. Hello. Hello, Liz. Hello. So we're talking about refusing to die, mm -hmm. and I have noticed that you seem pretty resistant to the whole dying thing. I am, I am just trying not to die on so many levels. Which level could we talk about? I'm not sure. Where do you want to start? Oh, okay. So I think the most recent refusal to die is like related to what I do in my job, but I'm really, really refusing to let the like techno capitalist zombies get me and like eat my soul and my brain and my creativity i think how, how are they I'm trying doing. to how are they trying to get you? oh okay so i think this like tech well first of all i want to fight elon musk i don't know if i've made that clear oh, sure, yes sure, sure. okay perfect so. <laughs> um so like technocracy in general and everything he stands for but i also i i've been thinking a lot about how Techno-capitalism means that they are they are kind of eating away our knowledge and creativity um, and that labor in a way that has never been done before. And that's the refusal that I want to make. Mm -hmm. um, that's the, I want to be an anti-techno-capitalist zombie. No, wait, that's not true. I don't want to be a zombie. That's what's up. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're, you're refusing to be zombified mm -hmm. as well. By the forces that do that. So we can talk about the kinds of technologies that do those things. We could talk about the power of algorithms to zombify us. Um, I don't know. I'm on TikTok quite a bit. I know I'm being zombified by my algorithm, but it's the kind of resistance to the um, to the oppression, I think, that can um, that can happen due to these algorithms on like social media platforms, but also in the ways that we use other technologies as well. So, so this ties into your interest in digital humanities. So mm -hmm. and that's what we talk about on yeah. the podcast that we recorded with Liz. That was just earlier this week, wasn't it, Dave? That was. That was yeah. just a few days ago. That was just a few days ago. Yeah. So um Liz, can you maybe uh, just like briefly what what is digital humanities? I love this question and I'm going to have a little spoiler I think for the podcast and I'll just do this because I had a mentor once that told me that the uh, the definition of digital humanities and this is what I should say is teaching people how to use iPads so that they can read Shakespeare on their iPads right so the definition of digital humanities now that was 12 years ago I've been doing this that's the 12, 12 year old, that's the 12 year definition old like, of digital humanities yeah. so basically digitizing white guys so that everyone can read them right um and I <laughs> <laughs> think <laughs> hopefully that the field has grown since then and there have been so many folks that are not only introducing like more than just white guys into digitization but taking back the the kind of means of producing um technologies that help us reveal things about the humanities using humanities methodologies so so awesome. this seems like it ties in a lot with this idea of sort of lost languages right mm -hmm. and sort of lost mm -hmm. histories and so mm -hmm. um so 
we talk a bit about how ways to bring those back, right? Yeah. So yeah. what do you think? Are we going to be able to bring some? Yeah, so there are. So actually, I don't think I talked about this on the podcast, so I'm really happy to talk about it now. One of the projects that I worked on quite a few years ago was um, working with indigenous peoples to teach computers, which optical character recognition, no one knows what that means, so just computers, to read indigenous languages, especially indigenous languages that um, that were, you know, basically no one spoke anymore except for elders. Um, working with those communities to digitize those materials, but also like preserve those languages in a way, and then make sure they controlled access to them, make sure they had the power to control access to those things. So there's all of these levels, I think, of interacting with digital humanities where you just have to proceed with care um, and you have to proceed with care everything about technology has to be proceeded with care you have to understand i think um, how the thing is built mm -hmm. absolutely yeah. great well i think that it would be a great chance now for us to bring in our uh, our final guest this is uh, a guest that we've had on a previous uh season of of Zombified, Tomas David Barrett. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being here with us. Let me sit here. Yes, sit right here. Hello. Great conversation. Ah, I know. Tell me about it. I mean, when you have guests like Liz and Mazzilikazi, the conversation is just going to be amazing. So, Tomas, uh, how are you refusing to die these days? Oh, well, the offer is not on the table right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm not sure I'm actively refusing to die. But, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's quite interesting how our societies are increasingly managed not to die. So we live longer and longer. And the technologies that will help us even, I mean, you work on some of these, like, uh, will, uh, are, are about to be there. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to live, some of us will live for a very long time. Right. And that will be quite a challenge. Yeah, well, and that's something that we, we talk about a little bit in the, the podcast that we did with you is, is right. you know, what happens when you have these demographic shifts, when you have people living yeah. a lot longer, you have smaller families, you have these sort of different kinds of structures. So, so what happens when people refuse to die in the sense that they are just living longer? What happens to our society in terms of the way it's structured? Right. Is it okay if I do a plug? Absolutely. So there's a, if you go to BBC, uh, there's a one, five, seven years, uh, five uh, uh, drama, five piece, five episode drama series where I was the scientific advisor. And the, the idea was that 10% of the people of the population randomly selected don't go for the mechanism <laughs> like uh, it didn't we didn't manage to work out but live twice as long starting at puberty so basically age twice as slow starting at puberty and it's very interesting to think through five different examples of what this means uh what uh, of course it will have it would have a lot of a lot of consequences for the for the pension system for the welfare system but do we have if today you know we adults moving out slowly out of the patriarchy have three big loves in our lives will those people have six big loves in their lives i mean 
do we need to then then is it is it qualitatively more is six more than three i mean as it comes to infatuations or what happens if you are uh, a murderous bastard mm. and then you they let let you out after 25 years and you live much longer but the most interesting episode was written by a, a nigerian uh, writer who placed this question in in rural nigeria where when at puberty all the boys were picked out as sort of princes of life because uh, <clears throat> they live twice as long uh, all the girls with the condition were killed as witches mm. so there we there are a lot right now that we haven't quite thought through so it was very interesting to one five seven years mm. so it's brilliant use it listen it with a with a proper headset because uh, the, the sound is amazing uh, Yeah. It's really interesting that we thought through, and I think our societies just have not done the work yet of just figuring out what will happen that mm -hmm. we'd refuse to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. I mean, because at some point also, you know, maybe there is a right time to stop trying to stay alive at all costs, right? There's you know, right? I mean, maybe there's some age. I mean, I know some people want to live forever if they possibly can right. with without regard for the state of their bodies, but... What was the age in, um, oh my gosh, what was the movie? Logan's Where, Run? Yeah, was it 23? 25. 25, so... <laughs> yeah, so we'd have like three people left in the studio. But they're the ones who actually know how to run things, so it would be fine. I mean, that's the right. That's the argument, right? For maybe Correction, why I, it's thirty. Oh, okay. Oh, we, we might we might get one more person in here. <laughs> But all of us would be out. So. But I guess yeah. there would be a turnover of ideas, right? Like if if people died faster, like in a Logan's Run. Well, sort of I scenario, mean, there is right? that saying, right, that science proceeds one funeral at a time. So yeah. yeah. So. Isn't that right? Isn't that the that we're not quite sure what would happen? Yeah. So, if people can reinvent themselves every 10 years, somebody who would live for 200 years, 180 years of adulthood, that's 17 reinventions and 18 units of wisdom. So there's a lot of so that stands against. A bunch of old farts who will never aren't willing to change. Yeah, right. so <laughs> it's not clear which one of these two. Well, right. Yeah, we need the we technology be. for both, right, to keep people alive. And uh, well, this is I must. This is I don't know if people actually get more stuck in their ways as they age, or if that's just a stereotype. I don't know if we've ever has anyone ever looked at that. So, no idea. <laughs> Actually, the Wi-Fi went down in the whole building for a couple seconds. Yeah. So, 
we're back up. I wonder if in the future the way that we're going to keep people sort of reinventing themselves is just to keep them other people's brains if they refuse to die, right? And there be a market for that. I mean, I do want to be a brain and a robot body. Because I love. Interesting. What do you guys think? You guys want to be um, robot body human brains? If it's like a bionic, hoping that my brain's going to heal itself a little bit after that attack stuff. Yeah, ice, ice will help. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I've thought about that too. Is there then going to be a situation where. If you have like the first generation robot body, then mm -hmm. the people who get the new ones are gonna like look down on you. Mm -hmm. So like the iPhone. Yeah, I know. It's yeah. like, oh look, look, Liz is in a human eight. And mm -hmm. so, oh. mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so <laughs> that's what Apple wants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um so so what does refusing to die mean to you, Liz? Thank you. Thank you. Um I've been thinking about this quite a lot. Um, so for me personally, I think refusing to die, there was an amazing article in the Atlantic today that was about um, how masking is awkward right now. And like I'm wearing a mask right now, basically because of that article, because there was a woman in that article that basic that was kind of like, well, I'll, I'll be awkward to protect my community. Right. And so we all have been talking about risk quite a bit. Right. And I think there's personal risk, but then there's also the risk to community. So I think I'm not only refusing to die, but I'm refusing to let my community die, which I think uh, I think that's what refusing to die means for me. That's a that's a good way to put it. Yeah. So yeah. It's, yeah. it's like the opposite of like taking the risk to go get the mammoth. It's like you're like, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to bring back. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to bring back the germs. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Oh. All right. Well, Liz and Tomash, thank you for joining us. I, I mean, Liz, thank you, Tomash. I'm not sure really what happened just there. <laughs> oh, goodness. Very, very juicy brain. It was amazing. Uh, Liz, Liz, thank you very thank much you. for sharing your brains with us today. Thank y'all. Yes. Thank, thank, thank you so you. much. <laughs> and, uh, well, I think I think now's the the right chance for us to bring Baba back. All right. My brains have recovered enough. I think I can handle a little more brain explosion from Baba. Baba, Baba. You, you made it. You made great, it. Great conversation. That was amazing. Yeah. So, what what are your uh, what are your thoughts about the conversation we just had? What do you think about what, the, what are my thoughts about to die and your brain and, actually and being like, eaten on stage? Yeah, that that part too. <laughs> um. I mean, I, I feel like there's an active resistance and sort of joyful um, persistence in, you know, standing up in the face of oppression. And that's what we're talking about and doing. And, you know, in very rare cases aside, I think we should always celebrate celebrate people who do that. So yeah. uh, including everybody here. Yeah, I guess I do talk about how the only way to really keep your brains safe is to share them. So maybe I should be more generous about letting people eat my brains. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah, great. Well, um, Baba, would you maybe do for us a, a little bit of improv here with yeah. uh, some audience participation and Ooh. some engagement from um, our, our viewers also at home? We've got some comments rolling in. Uh, what What do you want to hear from our audience or from here in studio or, or at home that can uh, seed you here? 
Check one, two. Uh, okay, so one of the things uh, that I found interesting earlier in the workshop was uh, Mozilla Kazi and Dr. Hines talking about uh, one of the great unanswered questions of reggae, the great mysteries, which was that it was spread by a whole lot of white people first mm. uh, internationally outside of Jamaica. Um, so that made me think of this beat that I want to play and, and rap over. Uh, so basically what this is is a, uh, a, a white British hip-hop producer inspired by uh, an African-American culture that started in the Bronx to become a hip-hop producer and make amazing beats. And uh, I was in his house and I was like, how about a reggae beat? And he looped up an old reggae song, sampled it, and made this amazing beat out of it, which kind of has like all of these threads of uh, sort of cultural celebration. We won't say appropriation because I think it really is a, a tribute. Uh, and so now you're going to get a white Canadian from the wilderness rapping over a reggae infused hip hop beat made by a British producer. Uh, and we'll <laughs> and that's how we share memes in the modern world. Uh, and yeah, so this will be all improvised. I'm going to ask the studio audience and everybody that's watching at home, feel free to go ahead and put comments in. And what I would like is, um, you know, how do you uh, celebrate life and resist and remind yourself that you're still alive, uh, resisting death through sort of joy joyful celebration. What makes you feel the most alive? And I think those are the practices that we can celebrate in the rap. And, uh, you know, for me, it's rapping, so it's very meta. Uh, and here we go. Uh, go ahead and put some comments in there. We'll do Zam soundtrack rap. Yo. Bob a break when coming Zam with the rap Like Mikhail Zilla, Kazi, Kobe, and Lizzie back And plus Tomas, David Barash And everybody here, yeah, we're celebrating Zam Got these bomb beats, rockin' with the zombies See, I'm just tryna rock with all these people looking for your passions Freestyle rapping that see Pamela's passion It's for dancing, so shake it out Every single limb that you got, rock it out Never worry about somebody watching out No indeed, yeah I'm going off. It could be simple things, right? Like petting your dog. Yes, indeed. That's how I freestyle. I say rhymes. You get a lot of oxytocin off of those canines. That's how I spit it when I wrap it up. I like cuddling cats and dogs too. Yo, Pamela. It's how it goes. Yes, indeed. It's so surprising when I'm freestyling. I like singing and vocalizing, especially when it's about zombies and parasites. This is how I freestyle. I'm spinning it on mics. It's how it goes. Yes, indeed. Yo, I'm just doing music. I get pleasure like you from working with my students, Alana. That's how I'm going straight off the top. It's improvised. I get zombified and hypnotized. At Zam, at Zam, Mozilla, Kazi, Kone, and Liz from Glass. I really hope you come back so we can sit on a panel together and just chill. This is Bubba Brickman doing a little freestyle skill. Yes, indeed. Check it out. What is that? The digits. Does that actually say community fridges? I get it. People just like to share, bringing food together because Sharing food does oxytocin pleasure. Yeah, that's how it goes. That's just how we do this. It's freestyle exam. This here is live music, so groove to it. Let me see you all dancing in the studio audience. This is the night's enhancement. It's the first night of the next exam season. This is freestyle. Do we really need any kind of reason? It's off the top of the brain. Yeah, I'm straight rocking this. What's happening under the hood is probably largely cognitive. Yeah, indeed. It's so easy. Open my head and wait for... Tomas to eat me like he ate Athena a second ago, delicious. Ah, that's right, I see him flipping his lips quick, yeah. Check it out, that's the planet that I'm on. But sorry, Tomas, I think you just got some prions. Yeah, it's 
how it goes, yeah, freestyle, it's infinite Showing I got gifts like the randomness that's gifted Like Jason Scott said, yes, indeed, with acquaintances I'm freestyling, sometimes that means brainlessness Cause it's the flow that comes through my body like a conduit demonic quick, huh? Sometimes I'm just flapping my lips saying not a lot But sometimes I'm watching love and stuff Yeah, I see ideas like zombie movies bubbling up Yeah, it's how I freestyle all day Or maybe for more than one day, like 28 days later Those are fast zombies straight up chasing me Freestyling with the virus Getting the Wi-Fi quick back in the house Yes, indeed, it's communicating with me I'm just one of those weird blistering MCs Bringing the heat, that's how I do Spitting the dope stuff Yeah, chilling right now up in Arizona at ASU with the straight hip hop everything I say I just make up you could call it improv it goes in strange directions as I follow them like pathways freestyling all day yeah doing my rap thing yeah indeed this is how I just go off I'm kind of poison it's just if you lick me like rainforest frogs yeah like a little bit of red yellow and green you can try it though I'd be kind of keen yeah that's how I say it the words never stop Licking people, that is Tamasha's next workshop. <laughs> Alright. Those who know, know. That was wonderful. Although you might have given him some bad ideas. <laughs> now just hold still and Someone's going to slowly run their tongue up your face. <laughs> Apes have buttons, and we're going to push them. <laughs> you may need to take your mask off. <laughs> so, so, Baba, how, how do you do it? How do you just look at, you know, a bunch of words on the screen and then have this, you know, rap just flow out of you? Uh, well, the, the short answer is I don't really know. It's just instinct and practice. Uh, but, you know, for me, I, I did not start good at this. I started obsessed with it. And I was listening to rap and I was going to freestyle battles and competitions and performances in Vancouver and watching the rappers. And I was like, this looks impossible to me. Uh, and so I started doing it, practicing it. And what I experienced was like I could get a couple of lines out. But if I got one good line out, I'd be like, oh, my God, that was an awesome line. <laughs> and then I'd be like, wait, what was I saying again? Uh, so, you know, part of it is like shutting up your inner analysis of what you're saying and just on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. Um, and, and there's been some interesting research on freestyle uh, where they put rappers in a scanner and they find massive deactivation of the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which the is the inner monitor or the inner critic that sort of assesses your behaviors and checks them against expectations of social social uh, disapproval. Uh, it, you know, it's it's how we keep ourselves conforming to the norms that would cause people to dogpile us if we violated them, like Tomash does all the time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so deactivation of the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex is kind of a necessary condition of improvisation because you got to let yourself go but you know we're not all getting naked and crazy and spitting gibberish there's got to also be an organizational component of it uh so you know the way i experience it is sort of um a little bit like a natural selection process like variations pop up cognitively i don't see them but i kind of like think i i, I imagine a series of concepts uh, and you know, the mouth keeps going and then I'm like, okay, I'm going for that one. And the other ones all fall away. And then and when I get to that one verbally, then I a whole another series of possible directions shows up. So when I'm looking at the screen, I'm basically just foraging. 
I'm hmm. visually foraging for possible paths that the rap could take. And it took a lot of practice to have the mouth continue with the previous line while the brain can figure out the path for the next line. And, you know, so pra practice is key. And I think on Saturday, I'm going to be doing a workshop with participants at Zam, and I will uh, try to get us all into the freestyle mindset and, and have some, some novices rap about their uh, scientific research. And it should be a lot of fun. Amazing. Yeah. Well, so it sounds like it's really something that you can train for and that you can teach this yes. ability to freestyle. Yes. And, and I, I mean, I think it's very analogous to, uh, you know, theater sports, improv theater. So they teach you yes. And, and that's part of the, uh, you know, no second guessing, take whatever happens and build something else on top of it as absurd as it might be, uh, based on what you're, you know, the direction you're taking it. But that is what makes each contribution be a, a continuation of a story. And I think maybe you could think of rap freestyle as like a, you know, inner cognitive analog for that. You don't ever feel bad about the last thing. You just try to figure out the next thing and keep building. But I think it's very therapeutic, actually. I find like freestyling makes me feel energized. And sometimes I say things where I'm like, ooh, I didn't know that was in there. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a, there's a meditative aspect to it, too. Mm. So is it part of your refusal to die to kind of keep making this amazingly creative rap? Well, I, I think part of my refusal to die is the fact that I'm turning 44 on Saturday. Uh, and when I started rapping, I did not think I would be rapping in my mid 40s uh, because <laughs> rap is a very young art form. And as I've aged as a rapper, I started rapping at 19. So it will mark my 25th year of, of uh, you know, practicing the craft. And all the other rappers that were the founders are aging with me, you know. So if I'm worried about being a rapper in his 40s, I can look to Jay-Z and be like, he makes it look cool. And he's like five years older than me. Um, but it's an interesting question because like the oldest rappers are in their 50s. What does a rapper look and sound like who's in their 70s and still like throws down on the mic? And I'm kind of, you know, for me, that's what refusing to die looks like. Like, it, you know, if I can freestyle in my 70s uh, and have a bunch of young kids be like, dope grandpa uh, <laughs> then that is uh, that is staving off death right there awesome do people ever freestyle rap together or is it usually just like no you you learn by interactive freestyling so oh, really yeah it's called a cypher uh it's usually like a group of rappers in a circle and some of them are beatboxing and others are rapping and they're taking turns and the key is like take the last thing that the previous rapper said and rhyme with it and take it to a new place so Oh, that's, that's fun. Uh, if we've got any other freestylers in the house, come step on up. We'll have a cipher. Uh, but that's yeah, I, I definitely like learned learn to do it that way. Yeah. Cool. Baba, thank you so much for sharing your amazing brains with us so generously tonight. It was a real pleasure to have you here, and we will have you with us all weekend here at Zam. So daily wraps. I cannot wait. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Baba. Thank you.
Zombified is a production of Arizona State University and Zombified Media. And we would like to thank everyone who helped make this podcast possible, including the Department of Psychology at Arizona State University, the Interdisciplinary Cooperation Initiative, and the President's Office at ASU, the Lincoln Center for Applied Ethics, all the brains that help make this podcast, including Tal Ram, shout out, you do our sound so awesome, thank you, Neil Smith, you draw us, thank you, <laughs> <laughs> Lemmy, the amazing composer and performer of our song, Psychological. And the Z team, as well as for this episode and all the Zam stuff, all the students at Mesa Mix and all the faculty at Mesa Mix and everyone who helped record. Yes, and everyone who refused to die even as the tech was dying yes. in this episode. So I was always really impressed with how, how well they did. So Absolutely. thank you guys. Yes. And so if you guys want to follow us and support us, we are on all those social media platforms Twitter, Instagram. TikTok. Facebook. Um, Vine. No, no. That one doesn't exist anymore. Doesn't exist anymore. MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> Friendster. <laughs> AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> I think we should make our own zombified media um, social social media platform. Oh, that's a good idea. I think it should be called Love Brains. Oh, all right. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, let's do so, it. Okay. All right. Um, you so can find, find us, us on um, Love Brains, and uh, you can go to our website, zombified.org, and uh, get connected to all of the places where we are. Um, and you can also go and support us on Patreon um, so that we can continue to make amazing educational ad-free programming for you. That's right. And buy our stuff. Buy, buy our, our stuff. Buy, do we have hats or just shirts? There's hats. There's shirts. I've there's mugs. The hats. There's all. I mean, what do you want? We've got it. I want a hat. Okay, Dave, we'll get you a hat. Good. All right. Thank you. Thank you for refusing to die with us. And thank you for listening to Zombified, your source for fresh brains. It's crazy, but it seems so logical. I can't deny that there is something supernatural with you.